Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, we're going to look at Joseph, who we know is the husband of Mary and the earthly father of Jesus. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. I want to appeal to each of you, as I have done before, that when you read the Bible, you slow down. And let me just start by saying this. One, slow down because somebody's speaking and the one who's speaking is God. The Bible testifies of itself that it's living and active, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it can pierce to the division of bone and marrow, and that it will judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. But if we don't ever slow down long enough, the profound sharpness of the scriptures may never ultimately take root unto your experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promised. So slow down. The other thing is slow down long enough to be surprised because this passage that we're in, for those that knew the Bible, the Jews, was incredibly surprising. So when it says, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way, we're about to encounter it taking place in a very, very surprising way and in a very disrupting way. When his, that's Jesus' mother Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph. Now betrothal a lot of times gets equated in our culture with engagement, but it's thicker than engagement. Right? Engagement may mean some cost of money to buy a ring uh, for the woman, but in the end, you can cut it off without getting divorced. Betrothal, when you read Jewish history, was actually more than our engagement was. It was actual and actual, though incomplete marriage. So on the books, it was an actual marriage. You, in order to disrupt it, you would have to divorce but it wasn't complete, and you see that, before they came together. In a betrothal, the couple has not come together in sex. They've not come together in physical intimacy, and they weren't living together. Now, it's an interesting contrast to our culture, because our culture tries to have the completion of marriage in sexuality and in living together prior to having it be an actual marriage. In this culture, it was an actual marriage before you got the benefits of living together and expressing yourself physically with one another. So betrothal was a very big deal. So Mary's betrothed to Joseph, married, though not completely married, that's what betrothal is. Before they had come together, she was found to be with child. Now that's a problem, <laughs> right? That is a problem, right? That would be a problem in an engagement, but if betrothal's thicker than engagement, this is a serious problem. They've yet to be together physically. She's with child. They're betrothed. They've yet to become together physically, yet she's with child. But then it says she's with child from the Holy Spirit. Some of us have heard this phrase, um, the Holy Spirit. And when it qualifies she's been with child, it's important for us to, again, slow down and to feel the humanness of this. Like, that's a problem. But anybody, time anybody says you're pregnant, there are tears, sometimes of joy, right, if it was planned. But most of the time, always, whether it's in joy or it's a surprise and you didn't intend it, there's always tears of trepidation. By trepidation, I just mean fear, like, 
what now? If it's the first one, what now? If it's the second one, how will we ever do two? We can hardly do one. If it's three, you're like, we're just nuts, right? And everybody else looks at you nuts. And if you're four, it's like Looney Farm, right? And if it's beyond that, but there's this sense, like, what do we do now? We've never had this before. That's weird. But then if you go with child by the Holy Spirit, and be honest, if you're a Christian here, when you hear the term Holy Spirit or the activity of the Holy Spirit, especially if you grew up in a tradition that calls it the Holy Ghost, you're like, ooh. This really feels weird. Like, I'm not certain I want to open the door to the Holy Ghost, right? To the Holy Spirit. Well, here's what's wild about the Holy Spirit is he doesn't really need you to open the door, right? Like he impregnates people that don't want to be pregnant, right? <laughs> He's not really waiting for you to open the door. He's crafty. He gets in the nook and crannies of human hearts and even institutions, and he begins to disrupt those. He begins to draw your attention to things that you don't want him to draw your attention to, and it's, he's mysterious. In John chapter 3, there's this statement of, as the wind blows, and no one knows from where it comes or where it goes, so it is of those who are born of the Spirit of God. My coming to faith personally felt like that. Like, wham, what in the world was that? Right? What is this? The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit in categories like wind and in categories like water and at times in these images of fire. The Holy Spirit's crafty, he's wily, he's powerful. The Holy Spirit's the one who hovered over creation as Jesus spoke the universe into existence. Read Genesis 1. Jewish commentators would look at the parting of the Red Sea and conclude that God spoke a wind which is another word for the Holy Spirit that separated the Red Sea so that the oppressed Israelites could walk and be free. The Holy Spirit is the one who calls the apostles and the prophets and the martyrs into dangerous acts of, dis dangerous acts of obedience. Dangerous acts of disobedience, I almost said. Dangerous acts of obedience. The Holy Spirit's the one who falls upon the disciples in the book of Acts that we just recently studied to form the community of the faithful. Now listen to me in this with the Holy Spirit. Because if you're scared and you want to close the door upon him, you're missing something massive. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who begins new things when the world is exhausted. He's the one who begins new things when the world is scared. He's the one who begins new things when you and I are confused, when our imagination fails. The Holy Spirit brings new things. When you look at the problems and the circumstances that are in front of you and you go, I have no idea what to do with this. I can't even think of a possibility. My imagination's failing. The Spirit comes in and does new things. The Holy Spirit is the one who moves in our lives when our lives are shut down in silence and in despair. And this is where when you listen to the word of God being taught or when you read the word of God, you've got to bring your real self to the real God. I've said this before. The only you and the only us that God can change is the real you and the real us. You've got to admit your exhaustion. You've got to admit right now things are silent. We can't walk through these doors and act like it's church and pull our pants up and make sure our shirts are buttoned up, and not be honest and real. We are exhausted people living in an exhausted world. We're scared people living in a world that's scary, right? 
it feels more often than we'd like to admit that God is silent and that the world has gone silent on us and we're living in despair. The Holy Spirit is the one then and now who shows up to do new things. This is why Jesus, when he's teaching us to pray in Luke chapter 11, mark that down and go read it, says, ask God for good things. If you're his children, what good father doesn't want to give good things to his children? And then he says this, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's saying, you want to know the biggest and best thing that we can pray for? Ask for more of the spirit of God. I want to tell you right now, there's nothing in your personal life that you could ask for that will do you more good than asking God for more of the Spirit. There's nothing your family could encounter better for the good than for you to say, Lord, let our family experience and be immersed in the Holy Spirit. There's nothing we, and as a pastor in this church, I plead with you to pray for Redemption Gilbert that God would give us more of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray that with me? Pray it and keep praying it, continually praying it. If we are truly people of faith, we've got to be in the moments of going, Spirit of God, disrupt us. Spirit of God, enter into unexpected places. When we feel stuck, move us. The passage now says this, that she was with child from the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and her husband, Joseph. Now, this is where we just talked about the Holy Spirit, the amazing activity of God through the power of his spirit. But this isn't the way Joseph perceives it, okay? When you hear, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and it says, and her husband Joseph, you've got to be going, what is this guy thinking? What is he feeling? What's going through him at this moment? And it says this, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, again, this is where we read over this, but this is really profound. And there's a big dilemma here in calling Joseph a just man. Because it says his justice is based on his unwillingness to put her to shame and resolving to divorce her quietly. Well, justice in the Bible is about obedience to God's word and God's law. And that statement seems to directly disobey a piece of the law in Deuteronomy 22. Read this. Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 and 24. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out of the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she didn't cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Here was the reality. If a betrothed woman got pregnant, she was to be stoned, as was the man who impregnated her. But Joseph's called just because he says, I'm going to do this quietly so that she won't be stoned. So what is this? How is he called just? This is where a bunch of people in the room are like, I knew it. The Bible contradicts itself. I knew it. Here's the thing. When we think about justice and when people think about justice, they'll think about equal application of the law. What you get for your deeds should be what they get for their deeds. That's justice. Well, there were people dragged out of the city and stoned for this very offense. 
Or we think about it retributively, meaning you harm me, I harm you. That's justice. But Joseph was also steeped in the scriptures and in the hope of Israel. And the hope of Israel is that one day a servant would come. A powerful servant who would liberate Israel from oppression. Right? We're about to sing hymns. And in his name all oppression will cease. That was the hope of Israel. But he was steeped in who this servant was. Isaiah 42 had absolutely been baked into Joseph's bones. Behold my servant. This is now speaking of this servant. Whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth, here's the word, justice to the nations. Justice was bound up in this servant. Justice would be brought to the whole world, that's what nations means, by this servant. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Now here's the key phrase, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Justice is bound up in him and he faithfully brings forth justice by not breaking a bruised reed or not quenching a faintly burning wick. So let me play out the image for you. In ancient times, in where this was written from and about, reeds were used as pens. And when a reed would get crushed a little or bruised, they would go, it's worthless. And they'd break it and they'd use it for fire. And one of the ways they may begin to use it is they had these clay lanterns that they would put the broken reed in and then they would light a wick with oil in the bottom and it would light up and heat potentially at some level or light up a home. As the end of that reed, as the oil began to go out, the part that had burned away could fall on the floor and start a fire in the house. So they'd put water in the bottom of it, or as it was faintly burning away, they'd quench it to make sure it didn't happen. He's saying here, here's what justice is. When he sees a bruised reed, he won't break it. A faintly burning wick, he won't quench. What will he do? He'll reignite the wick with more oil, which just side note, oil is an image of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. A bruised reed, he doesn't break, he mends, he heals, and he nurtures it back to health. Joseph had within him the heart and the spirit of the servant who was ultimate justice, who defined a higher view of justice, who in this culture, it was an extraordinary and unexpected definition of justice, but it exceeded the ethical expectation of justice and said there's a higher definition of justice, which is mercy, compassion, and love. A higher definition of justice, which is mercy, compassion, and love. Now think about this for a minute. Without this heart of the servant within Joseph, Mary and the baby are likely killed and this very servant whom Isaiah 42 speaks about is not here to offer you in your broken reedness, in your flickering wickness, mercy, compassion, and love. 
If that heart isn't in him, if the spirit of God that impregnated Mary isn't the very God who encounters Joseph, as we're going to see in a minute, Jesus never is born. Now, that again, all sounds incredible, but now it says this, but as he considered, Joseph considered, this word considered um, brings this story into the real world. This word considered, when you study the original language, has two meanings. One is exactly what it says. He pondered and considered. You want to know what the other one is? Being deeply angry, right? This is the point where you're like, come on, right? This is what I'm talking This is real. A guy finds out his betrothed wife is pregnant and it's not by him. He's ticked. So a better definition is he was fuming. So as he's sitting there going, I know the heart of the servant is this, as he looks at Mary as a bruised reed and a smoldering wick and goes, I don't want her to die, he's simultaneously fuming angry, incredibly, incredibly angry. And he's probably shifting from compassion, but her, what would happen to her, to it should happen to her. This is ridiculous. He feels betrayed. He feels abandoned, he's angry, he's scared. As that's all happening inside of him, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. But as he considered these things, was fuming angry, behold, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream, which I love. Like, while you're knocked out, God shows up and starts talking. And it's not like he had a dream about an angel. Hear this, an angel actually appeared to him in a dream, speaking the words of God. Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Now, in the Bible, when angels show up, or God, and they say, do not fear, why do they say don't fear? Because they're scared. (laughs) Right? It's pretty easy. Don't fear, because... These people are scared. This meant Joseph was scared. What do you think Joseph was scared of? I think he's scared to death going, does she not love me? This woman who I was going to give my whole life to, does she not love me? He's scared because he feels utterly betrayed. I think he's scared for the life of Mary. He still loves her even though he feels betrayed by her. She could be killed. She could still be stoned. He's worried about their reputations and his reputation. My reputation's gone. If my reputation's gone, how am I going to work? I may not get jobs. People may not want them. Even the people that want to give them, it may be too costly for them to give me a job. He's scared about how he's ultimately going to live. And God says, don't be scared. Don't be scared. Why? Don't be scared to take Mary as your wife. This is probably the most terrifying thing. Should I still marry her? Are you kidding me? Do you know all the obstacles that will come in my way if I actually still marry this woman? But don't be scared to take Mary of your wife, for that which she has conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. There he is again, the Holy Spirit. My God, right? Showing up to disrupt things, not just Mary's life, but Joseph's life, but it's the very means in which and why God says, Joseph, don't fear. Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, one of the most famous devotionals, says this about the Spirit of God. Oswald Chambers writes, the river of the Spirit of God overcomes all obstacles. Never focus your eyes on the obstacle or on the difficulty. 
the obstacle will be a matter of total indifference to the river that will flow steadily through you if you will simply remember to stay focused on the source. How easy is it for us to focus on the obstacles? Very. You're going to focus on something. He's saying focus on the river of the Holy Spirit, the one who brings new things, the one who does expected things, the one whom you who will break down barriers you never perceived or believed could be broken down. Focus on him. Ask for more of him. Ask for more of him in their life, but ask for more than that in your own life. That's what Oswald Chambers is saying. When God acts, God acts by speaking. He says, take her as your wife. And here's why. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. This is amazing when God speaks. Because Joseph was the father in an earthly sense. Earthly fathers named their children. That was what they got to do. It showed their authority. It showed their authority over their family line. God is saying two things right now. Hey, remember Joseph, you're not the father. And even more than that, remember I'm God. So I supersede all earthly authority because I'm the king of kings and I'm the Lord of lords. You will name him. I'm going to tell you what to name him. You're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We could do a whole lesson right now on the power of the name of God, Emmanuel, of being with us. But let me say it this way. Even if you're in here and you don't believe, you know deep in your gut of guts, and if you do believe, you know deep in your gut of guts, you want someone near you. You want somebody with you that's strong. You want somebody to move the mountains that you can't move. You want somebody with you to bring newness when everything's dead. You want somebody speaking when everything seems silent. You want somebody that can bring life when there's only despair. You want someone strong and good. In this statement of Jesus has come as Emmanuel, God with us is the best news the world. You, your family, me, our church, the city of Phoenix, the country of the United States, the world has ever heard is that God has come near. That it isn't up to us to get near to God. God comes near to us. Open yourself. Open your hands. Ask for him. Pray that what blinds you, you'd be brought sight. Pray where your ears are stopped, you'd hear. Pray where your senses are dulled, you would feel. This is real stuff, folks. This is what the world is really about, and this is why... God spoke through the angel to tell Joseph, take her as your wife. Now, what do we do at that moment? Exactly what Joseph does. If we have authentic faith, a real disciple listens for God and obeys what he says. A disciple is one who listens and obeys. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. 
and he called his name Jesus. Were there obstacles? You're dang right there was obstacles, more than you and I could ever have imagined. Would there be hardship? Harder than any of us even know. But Joseph was focused on the source. God spoke, he obeyed. And in his obedience, we all sit here now with authentic faith. If we love God in this room, we love God because he first loved us, which is perfectly displayed in sending his son as a baby whom we celebrate at Christmas. So here's the thing. What's God speaking to you? If we follow Jesus and disciples are ones who listen and obey, what is he saying to you? Don't dole out his voice. Respond. I know this. He's saying to all of us, repent and believe. Whether we believe right now or don't, he's saying, turn to Jesus. Turn away from your self-sufficiency, turn away from your sin, and turn to Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, your story is not fiction. It's true. And your God, God, you are alive. So I pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit to disrupt us and to bring us life. And God, give us the faith to believe what you say and to do what you're telling us to do. In Christ's name, amen.